Today's podcast is not appropriate for children. If you are a middle schooler, please turn this off and go work on a comic. Thank you. Today's episode of Sagittarian Matters, I am joined by a powerful businesswoman, Tara Perkins, to talk about the time she was attacked on Fox News and why you should pay artists for their work. Stay tuned. Today's episode is very important to me because meeting Tara Perkins, I'm going on tour with her, was the first time I had ever considered paying artists for their time as a class issue. And it really resonated with me and it changed my life and it became a value that I really hold dear, both in advocating for myself as an artist and also for other people in the arts. I met Tara Perkins 10 years ago. She was my tour manager on Sister Spit and we've we've been friends ever since. She was the director and founder of the Sex Workers Art Show Tour from 2000 to 2008. She appeared on the O'Reilly Factor to defend the Swaths Tour after they were attacked on TV for performing at Duke University. Um, She also edited a book called Working Sex, Sex Workers Write About a Changing Industry. Since that time, Tara Perkins has become a powerful music manager, traveling around the world with different acts. And... She has started a foundation called the Girls Rock Camp Foundation. Basically, they collect money and then disperse it to different rock and roll camp for girls chapters in need across the nation. So, please enjoy my conversation with powerful businesswoman Tara Perkins. Tara Perkins, you're Sagittarius. Of course I am. All the best people are. (laughs) What does it mean to you to be a Sagittarius? Um, or what traits do you identify with? Let's see. Well, my birthday is also December 1st, which I've always thought was kind of an auspicious birthday, the first day of the last month. Um, and I, I think uh, being um, really driven and um, the, sort of the combination of having a lot of emotions and also being able to like drop drop out of being, being sometimes driven by emotions, but also being able to drop out of that and then getting really logical on your emotions sometimes. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you think of that as a, as a Sagittarius? I don't know if I think about that as a Sagittarian thing. It's hard because I have so much Capricorn in my chart that if I'm like feeling driven or something, I forget that that's a Sagittarian thing and then I attribute it to Capricorn. So it's then... very Sagittarius. It's very Sagittarius are, are very like... Um, make up your own your own thing and then go do it, even if it's a deranged idea. <laughs> Maybe that's just my family. <laughs> no, Sagittarians um, are all right, gregarious, hilarious, but also sensitive brutes is something I've heard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know. I can't imagine why anyone would say that to us. <laughs> It was somebody, a Leo, actually, who had dated a Sagittarius and then been friends with me, made that proclamation. Somebody I dated said that Sagittarians always have secret plans, and they don't always tell other people what the whole plan is. 
and they get frustrated. Oh, no, that's so true. <laughs> and then they get frustrated when the plan doesn't work out the way they wanted it to, but they didn't <laughs> yeah. tell anybody the whole plan. Because, <laughs> yes, because you want to do it yourself. Your weird crackpot scheme. It's really true. That's very true. Oh, I hate hearing that. <laughs> I try. To I hate for Kurt to hear that. <laughs> well, it's helpful because then in the world, I could think about it and be like, do you have a secret plan right now? Like, did you tell them your plan? Why are you frustrated? <laughs> totally. But being found out that way makes me feel like my underwear is showing. Or something. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, no. Will you tell my listeners who you are? I work in music management and I have for 10 years. And before that, I did um, booking and tour management of uh, various performing arts things, some of which you, Nicole Georges, were a part of. That's how we met. Is that how we met? Really? We we met because you were the tour manager of Sister Spit. Totally. Okay. God. Okay. I feel I felt like I already knew you when we went on that because we because it was there were so many insane experiences together that I I, I feel like I knew you for like a thousand years prior to that. We did meet at Homo Vogo or something maybe before that possibly. Yeah, could be. But I feel like going on tour like makes it feel like you know somebody way more. Like it's like a compression machine. Well, there was that dildo incident. And by then, I felt like we were old pals. (laughs) I was just telling somebody about the dildo incident. The dildo incident is that one of my tour mates, when we were all really drunk, tried to get fucked with a dildo in our hotel room that four of us were sharing. Wasn't there a bunk bed, too? (laughs) There were. were, No, it was five of us. There was two sets of bunk beds and then a full, like a queen-size bed. And so on the way home from the bar... My tour mate had picked up this girl that looked like Eminem, and then they stopped at the girl's house, and the girl went into her house and came back out and got back in the car. and With the dildo, that's what it was. With the dildo, and then I was like, I don't think it's a very good idea, you guys. And then she started calling me a nerd and berating me, and I started crying like a little bitch, and then we got back in, and then I like, was not explaining myself to you guys very well. I just texted Michelle and was like, could I come to your room? And she's like, no, we're sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) But that tour changed my life in several ways. But one of the ways was it was really cool to hear you and also Michelle talk about artists getting paid as a class issue. Yes. Um, Well, Michelle, Michelle came on the first ever um, sex workers art show tour, which was the first tour that I ever did. And I didn't know anything about going on tour. And if I had, I probably wouldn't have tried to book and tour manage. I didn't even know what tour managing was. I tried to book and tour manage my, my entire tour and um, had some uh, super loud critics such as Penny Arcade (laughs) on that first tour, um, telling me what a horrible job I was doing. And then some, some super kind people like Michelle T, um, telling me what a good job I was doing. And, uh, the truth was probably somewhere in between, but, um, yeah, on, from that very first tour and subsequent tours, 
um, especially for a tour being based around work. Um, it, it was really important to me to be able to pay people to come on the tour. Otherwise, the only people that can come on your tour are people that can afford to leave their job and their kids and whatever it is for a month and come home with no money. And then the stories that are getting told all over the country are stories that are from one really privileged class perspective. That's so wise. Uh, wait, will you explain <laughs> what the Sex Workers Art Show tour is or was? Oh, yeah. Um, and how it came to pass. Um, the Sex Workers Art Show uh, started in Olympia, Washington, and it was it started as just a um, cabaret-style show with um, spoken word, uh, music, performance art. Um, there was a little bit of burlesque, but a lot less than you would think. <laughs> um, and uh, it was all artwork created by people who have worked in the sex industry. Um, and it started in Olympia, Washington, just as like a one-off annual show, um, sort of born out of my frustration at not knowing anyone else who worked in the sex industry and um, not, you know, in the, in the weird activist circles that I was, for some reason, running around in at the time. Uh, there was nobody else who was doing that kind of thing, and I was getting a lot of... Um, uh, feminist backlash about about myself working in the sex industry, and um, I wanted there to be some kind of event where where people had to confront some of that stuff. And now that now it's like stripper memoirs are a dime a dozen, and there's you know every every porn star has their own Twitter feed, and it, it's it's just a really different landscape than it was back then, which was um, you know like. 16 no more than that years ago god oh i'm so old it was like 19 years ago <laughs> so 20 years ago 20 years ago uh, um yeah it was a really different landscape there was no suicide girls there just it, it wasn't anything people didn't know people that were strippers and if they did it was like a semi kind of horrifying thing that somebody hid um and uh yeah, after the, the show was really, really successful in Olympia, and I, um, I learned how to use the internet, and I brought people from all over the world to come perform at the show. Um, yeah, there was barely the internet. I had to get a fucking email address. That's how long ago this was. Um, and I started taking it on the road. Your Juno address? Um, yes, which I still have. <laughs> <laughs> but it also it had ties like you were, like part of the mission statement seemed like it tied it in with like labor as, as a whole, like putting a face to labor, to the people that are late, like doing sex work, like you're giving them an identity and giving them a face, but then people could take that model and broaden it to all kinds of labor that is, uns or that they're not recognizing the humanity of the yeah. people behind the service industry. Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, I think a, a lot of, a lot of, um, living in a service economy all of us sort of survive as consumers by ignoring the humanity of people that provide goods and services for us. And, you know, otherwise we would not, if we thought about it, we wouldn't be able to have our iPhones and all of this stuff that in hamburgers and all of this stuff. And, and it's um, the part of the, sh the idea of the show is, was to puncture that disconnect and, you know, and make people be like, Oh, I love, you know, th this, 
porn that we're all consuming in massive, massive amounts, more than, you know, more than more revenues than professional sports and more revenues than fast food. It's, it's like a, it's, it's a huge industry and, and, you know, it, and it's like built around sexuality and all of this stuff, but we have no, it's like you, you go in the room with your, with your internet porn or your hideous magazine and, and have this moment with this thing. And then you really just want to leave it there. And then yeah. it's the, the show was about, kind of dragging that out into the light and, and puncturing the, the veil between good or service and the provider of that. And it, and I eventually it only became interesting to me if it was, if it was applied to other industries, I mean, sex worker identity politics are interesting, but they're not, they're only interesting for so long and they're not an end. Like the end, the end of that is, is more about worker identity in general and, and what that means. And I used to give a really boring um, <laughs> speech about minimum wage. I, that was the thing because you could lure people in with like, you know, you, with, you put sex on a flyer and um, a scantily clad lady and then people come and then you make them listen to stuff about the minimum wage. And it's, it's kind of a great, it's a great format. You know, nobody's going to come hear, hear me talk about, minimum wage otherwise well here we are <laughs> I was, except for you except for me except for me in my room <laughs> I thought it was such I thought it was I mean I understand that like it ran its course you know for you at a certain point and that it had you know like it had its time but I feel like it was such a genius premise and practice of it you know I thought you did it so well and Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. We should say, I just rewatched your Fox News appearance. Oh, God. You did get dragged <laughs> onto Fox News with no training. <laughs> In fucking, like, I get chills when I see you on Fox News getting berated by this woman who's like, you don't think there's enough porn at Duke University? <laughs> like, like, Duke had just, like, everyone, like, all the men on campus had just raped, like, every woman on campus or something. <laughs> And then Sex Workers Art Show Tour came through, and then Fox News was like, what are you doing? I want to know, how did it feel to go on Fox News? I didn't have TV, and so I hadn't watched it, and I didn't really know, like, what to expect. It was on the O'Reilly Factor. What the hell was that woman's name who was Ann Coulter? No, it wasn't Ann Coulter, but it was someone just as pleasant. Laura Ingram. Laura Ingram, thank you. Um, I was in a random room in Virginia, actually. Uh, I wasn't in the, on the station and these guys were in there, um, recording it and at a TV studio, a local TV studio. And I could hear in my headset, the woman who was on before me. And it's some like, a mom of somebody who had been, um, killed in the war. It was like an, a, a mom anti-war person who was like a gentle soul who was very kind, whose anti-war protesting was born out of having her son be killed in in the war. And she was just like a, a, a small, respectful lady, you know, and this woman is just tearing into her. And I was, <laughs> I was laughing. I, my mouth was open and I was like, Oh my God, to these guys that were in the room and they were like, we know we've heard it before. Like they, they were just like, Oh yeah. And they were also laughing. And I was just like, Holy shit. And, um, I got on with her and I guess, you know, like 
people do go I found out after the guys told me like people take you know they, they get media training for stuff for appearances like that extensive media training and um, I just felt like in a situation like that if you scream back at the at the person then it's it's you both look insane and she wasn't you know she wasn't really letting me get a word in edgewise and I was just doing my best to maintain dignity and to try to get a few points in but it's just it's an insane person talking over you you think you're actually adding to the positive educational environment and and not adding to the objectification of women at duke absolutely the show um first of all it's not only been performed at duke the show's been happening um as a national tour for six years we've performed at hundreds of campuses across the country as well as off-campus venues and the show is about humanizing sex workers not about glorifying the industry or encouraging people to join it it's about demystifying a group of people who is a gigantic segment of the population demystifying but, what, what is yes this? when you say demystifying are, you actually think there's not enough information about out there about porn yeah, absolutely on don't. campus there's... porn is not a, a, a accessible enough on campus through the internet it's... and through a pay-per-view that we actually have to have it sure uh, it's uh, packaged everywhere. as an educational event you've got it's to be everywhere and me. that's exactly my point it's yeah. everywhere and what we're showing is the experiences of people behind the porn People who Behind are in the porn, porn are reading hmm. stories. People who are in porn are reading stories, doing performances no. based on their experiences, and taking away this this mysterious glorification and demonization that happens of sex workers. Are you are you in the show, or did you just found the show? Are you one of the performers as well, or? I'm the founder and director, and I MC the show, and I occasionally perform. Yes. Okay. Well, one of the descriptions of the show is as following. A transvestite, naked except for some strategically placed tape, with the words blank bush painted on his chest, kneeled on all fours and lit a sparkler protruding out of his blank with, the, with a stripper in the guise of a U.S. flagged lady justice, emptying coins out of her scales, pulled dollar bills out of her clothes as she removed them, and yanked a string of dollar bills out of her posterior as the sound system played Dolly Parton's version of God Bless the USA. Is that accurate? Exactly. Her piece is about the commodification of justice and mm. desaturation of money in what, what we call the political system in America. How about just writing an op-ed? How's that for an answer to... How about a dominatrix? That's the, that's the difference between an op-ed and an art show. If you yeah. don't like art, don't go to the show. The only thing that I could have done differently is talked louder in a calm way over her. And, like, tried to drown her out and still maintain calm. Um, but I did get a lot of emails and uh, messages afterwards from people that had... Um, then gone and, and looked about you know found out about what the show was and what what the situation was and were really inspired by it or people from the sex industry who are just like oh my god i can't believe i saw someone like you on tv or uh it did it did seem like and then also a lot of hate mail die in the fire you know things like that <laughs> but um yeah god i should that that, that would be a great zine the mail you got stuff, from that? stuff people have seen fit to say just from all of that stuff because there was all, there were a lot of other news appearances that was the most like national news but the there's a there was a um, Washington Post cartoon of the sex workers art show uh, in bikinis with a big banner that says sex workers art show busting into the chapel at the College of William and Mary and chasing the Jesus out 
like the Jesus is dragging a cross out. <laughs> it's incredible. There was a lot of there was a lot of visibility that year. So you had this idea that people needed to get paid fairly for their work. So if you're bringing people across the country with you, you needed to make sure that you were doing things that could make them money. And I, I've taken this, you know, like I went to breakfast with you and you, breakfast with you, and you kind of gave me your touring spiel, like the basics of how you book a tour. And mm-hmm. I've always taken that whenever I book a tour. Um, to make sure the tour is financially sound. And then when I teach touring workshops, I try to tell people to make a tour that's financially sound because you don't you don't need to go on a tour that loses money, and I can't afford to go on a tour that loses money. So, like hitting up colleges and hitting yeah. up libraries and paying gigs and not just like somebody weekly passing the hat, being like, hey, for gas. Yeah. Know? For gas yeah. only, no amenities, <laughs> don't worry. She's not going to be comfortable. She's not going to eat. She's going <laughs> to sleep under the car. But <laughs> this is just going to get used for gas. No, I, I think that's, I, I don't know. I, I think that's so important. I mean, it's so expensive. It's so expensive to tour. And a lot of the stuff, the kind of programming that we're talking about, like, queer or feminist stuff, um, it doesn't, and stuff that's got academic interest. I mean, we're, we're talking primarily about college, touring at colleges or um, Sex Workers Art Show did a mix of colleges and big theaters, and it was in small clubs, but um, colleges were often, like, you at least knew there was going to be some money there. It was always a risk with, with um, a theater show, which is some, there were some cities like Boston. We always made a ton of money in Boston and weirdly Baltimore. Um, but the colleges were like, okay, I don't have to be super stressed out because I know there'll at least be some money. But those those kinds of shows, it's like you have to book them through the student clubs and the campus feminist group or the campus queer group, which those are also very underfunded. And you don't, you can't go to like the um, student activities board, which is like spending, you know, $5,000 to bring like a juggler to campus or like, you know, like they, the, all of those things, like there's the whole college booking network and it's like jugglers and people that make balloon animals and singer songwriters with long skirts on, which is fine. Um but you know, that's the kind of that's the kind of person that can come and get paid a ton of money, not like uh, a weird lesbian comic <laughs> writing about her dog. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know any people like that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's just like there's less there's less there's less money out there, and of course, everybody people that go to see music and art, it's there's this idea that it's so fun to make the work and it's so fun to get to travel. It, it's like this like hobby that you do and they shouldn't have to pay you for it. You know, especially with touring, it's like people don't understand how expensive it is and don't understand how much of your life you give up to go do that stuff and how much time it takes to make artwork or make music. And, and there's, and so people just, expect to be able to pay a couple dollars to go see a band play or to see somebody read and it's just like that's not that's not an appropriate way to treat art in our lives it's that's not relative to the amount of space that art and 
visuals and entertainment take up in our lives a couple of dollars you know it's like it's you know what I mean yeah like people deserve to get paid for their work even if they enjoy their work yeah or and, and you don't, des- you don't deserve art. enjoy their work <laughs> I mean yeah like you don't like nobody deserves art nobody deserves to have someone entertain them for yeah for free for free and it it is work and there is a skill set around it if you don't think there's a skill set around art god just go to it you know go to <laughs> go to an open mic go to a free open mic at a coffee shop if you think there's no skill involved in music or art or writing it's like there's a reason that people aren't going there i can't i think that i told you i went and saw kathleen hannah in portland speak recently on her speaking tour mm-hmm. and um you know like she's got gone through many things many experiences uh, including Lyme disease, and then she's on this tour, and then people are paying a lot of money to go see her. Like the tickets were twenty five dollars or something, and somebody waited in line at the Q and A after her long performance and was like, "You know, you talk about wanting to be a feminist and wanting to be intersectional, or you know, worrying about you know poor women too." But my ticket for this cost twenty five dollars with service fees. It was thirty dollars, and like I don't know how you can say that you're making art accessible um, if if yeah, if you have this financial barrier to people seeing you. And Kathleen Hanna said, she kind of, she took it pretty well. She was like, I'm not sure what to say. That's how much the ticket costs. I don't know if you want me to say that I'm not worth it, but I can't say that. You know, it's just, I'm sorry. It's just how That's much awesome. it costs. <laughs> and then like another person was like, yeah, well, you know what? I fucking babysat so that I could make money for this ticket. So like, thanks for coming. And I just... Of course, me in my seat, like, my head was turning around like the exorcist. Like, I was, like, <laughs> my face was inverting like Kermit the Frog when he's upset. <laughs> I was, like, turning around looking at this girl. And then some other fool waited in line to ask the same question again at the end of the night. And I was, like, Portland, oh. Portland, stop. She, there's, so, there's so much that you can access of Kathleen Hanna's writing and work that is free. And yeah. maybe you can't go see her sorry you know it's like that sorry you can't see her this year maybe next year I I don't know it's it's just like also that fucking person got their shit together and got their you know they obviously wanted to go like people who will not give more than five dollars to a touring artist without griping giving that same five or ten dollars to a cigarette company or to a gas company or yeah (laughs) like fucking Anheuser-Busch or something and they're like no, I have pretty firm principles. Like, can I have another Pabst? Anyway, here's why I need to not pay you for yeah. your time. Yeah, it's so it's so intense. It's just that that more of that like eating our own mentality, uh, you know, where it's just like anything to tear to tear down people in the community, and and I feel like a lot of that happens around money stuff. I hate to be the person that's like, Europe is so great because I don't think it is. <laughs> don't go live in Europe. It's not a hotbed of feminism. Neither is the UK. But they do have a different attitude over there about art and music and literature. And if you're a band and you tour there, somebody's going to make you, even touring at a lower level, it, it, someone's going to make you a beautiful meal and the dressing room is going to not have a turd on the floor and, <laughs> and over, you know it's there's going to be more than just like a squashed gas station sandwich it, it's a pleasant experience there's the, the some of the 
touring experiences I've had in Europe have just have been like downright luxurious, even touring with a punk band. It's like crazy feasts and stuff. It, and there's, there's money for, so, you know, to subsidize artists in places like Germany that there's just, you would never dream of that here. It's constantly being disassembled. It's, and it's just, it's representative of this different idea about, about what space art occupies. I was just telling somebody in Portland, only 20% of the schools have art specialists, like art teachers. And so all the other art programs, they have to get um, a la carte from, like I worked for a place called Young Audiences as a catalog of teaching artists. And the kids, to make money to get art from that catalog, the kids have to do a marathon. Like the kids have to... <laughs> I want to make art, but I can't run. <laughs> the kids, it's called Run for the Arts. And so kids have to get people to sponsor them, you know, like, oh, run a mile oh or whatever. And then <laughs> if the, it's like Girl Scout cookies, but it's for their arts education. And then every, but then the schools are so crammed with things they are like curriculum that they basically really love it if you can blend your art with their curriculum, which is fine, except for there's no art just for art's sake. The art is, you know, or it takes a lot of the art for art's sake out of it. And it just ends up being like, yeah. Like, I use comics for literacy, or I use comics to teach about the skeletal system, or the Civil War, or, you know, it's not just, like, the kids are doing art. Yeah, Yeah. like, not directed art. My old roommate, Marie, had got a a job teaching art at a a school, and it was, um, she had a, they gave her a box, and it was, like, a box of ballpoint pens and lined paper. And that was that was the the supplies box, and she had to get use her own money to buy supplies for stuff. And it, it was like the craziest. I, I I can't even imagine. This is like a relatively wealthy city. Yeah, with know. a lot of artists. What do you think um, are the basics that people should provide touring artists with? Um, you mean as a person who's booking a touring artist, or somebody who's curating a tour and bringing people on tour? I guess either or both. Like, if you want to host a touring group in your town, what do you think are the best things? I mean, I know on our tour, you as the tour manager gave us a per diem. That was in the budget. We had rent, a rent, we had a rented van so uh-huh. that it wouldn't break. If it broke down, that was not our problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we had hotels every night, except for when we were in big cities where we all had friends that we could stay with. Mm-hmm. Those things were all of great value. There was there was money when people came home. There was a uh, fee. You know, there was a per diem. You had meals. Um, you you had people were selling your merch. Uh, there was um, no cut of merch taken, which I think you know most venues. If you're if you're a band, venues take a cut of your merch, um, and uh, certainly a merch person. You know, providing a merch person, they're they're. Um, that's a that's a benefit for people. I think I think on Sisters Bit tour though, people just took turns at the merch tables that yeah, way. Yeah, we did. Was there... Yeah. Okay. I think I worked it sometimes too. Or it was it was either we took turns or it was like you had at some point it was like you just have to go sell your own stuff. Yeah, I I feel like I people wanted to sell their own stuff because you sell more if you're standing behind the merch table. I do remember that, but. Um, I think providing a way for people to sell, to, to make money from their merch, to to augment 
the, what you're paying them on a tour is good. People just need to, to feel safe and have a have a good place to sleep. I think we we definitely packed in too many people um, on per Sister's room Fit? on Sisters Fit tour. I mean, just for comparison, but, my only book tour before that had been with two semi crusty zinster guys and like one like a sedan. So you were like sitting with like the merch basically like on top of your head and like like you like every part of the car was crammed with the merch so like there was not really room for you as a human, and then our the guy that had booked the tour would just say into the microphone every night at whatever fucking anarchist space we were at he would be like hey if anyone could put us up tonight that would be awesome, they, you know or like he would be like go go ask that person go ask that person, and we would have to go ask a total stranger and then like the three of us would be sharing a couch bed. At like whatever local food at bombs house. Oh my lord! Like in the living room. <laughs> See, so, comparatively, it, it was mind blowing for me to be like, "Oh my god, I get paid. We're staying in a hotel, and then this nice lady's giving me money to go buy some food." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, those and those kinds of tours are fine if if young young punk persons or you know or whomsoever wants to go on them but i do i do think it's like on a tour like that then only a very specific kind of person only only a really young person <laughs> is gonna want to go on something like that and like eileen miles was on the tour that i went on with you for sister spit and that's a that's a grown adult woman with, <laughs> with a career and she's not gonna go do that the thing i like about you one thing i one thing i like about you it's that you just find the money. You're like, okay, this is my goal. This is what I want to pay these people. I'm going to go find it. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and that works on like on small levels. Um, and, and like that, that works in projects that I'm creating, but it's like the, the bigger issue I think is, um, it is especially since so much of this takes place online is like people being willing to pay for stuff like pay, pay for the fucking behind the paywall New York times stuff. I pay for, I pay for Spotify. I, you know, I, I pay for stuff that I don't even, that I could get away with not paying for it for like with, with stuff that I read and, and stuff that I listen to, because it's just like, you have to treat that stuff like it's valuable. You just have to other, otherwise it's going to, it's not going to have any value anymore. And I, I, I do read free blogs and stuff like, like Jezebel, but there's, there's also stuff that I, that I pay for And I, and like buy books new when you can and, and, um, buy, you know, if, if you subscription services is where I get most of my music. And so I do pay for those. Um, but I, if I really love something and it's an independent artist, then I'll, I'll pay for the digital download too of something or like buy it, buy it on vinyl or, you know, I, I do watch my true crime rips on YouTube because I don't have TV, but I also pay for Amazon, um, HBO, Amazon Prime and HBO Go or whatever. And right now we're paying for stupid Hulu temporarily. <laughs> um, but it's like those you have to you have to pay. You have to be willing to pay for for good art and good entertainment. And I realize it's not within everybody's ability to do all of those things all the time but pick one and do it you know you know it is a little bit heartbreaking when people come up to the table and they're like oh my god your book looks so good i'm totally gonna get this from the library 
And you're like, hmm. <laughs> I will say if cool. I, there's, <laughs> there's, I mean, I love the libraries. I love librarians. As you can understand, they're my people. But um, mm-hmm. oftentimes if I go to the library and I get a graphic novel or a book and I really like it, then I will definitely go and buy that book because I want to support yeah. the person and I want to have it around and I want to give that copy back to the library, you know? Yeah. But I yeah. often like, that's kind of sometimes how I will check out a book to be like, do I want to own this book? And then, yeah. Do I want to make the investment in this? Yeah. But I always, I mean, uh, if I go see people read, if I see people at a show, it's so special to get a book from somebody or to know that you're supporting something you really love so they can keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too, is like with all of this stuff, the royalty paid to the actual person the royalty paid to writers on books, which I found out when my book came out, is criminally low. It is so dark. It's like worse, maybe worse than music. It's hard to say, but it, it's it's really terrible. And the person on their book tour is getting a much bigger cut. You know, they're, otherwise they're making like four percent. They're never going to see a royalty check from their book unless they sell a ton of it. But if they're going on tour with their book and selling it, they they get to keep a really big chunk of that money. Yeah. That's the place to buy books. Yeah. Find out where people are reading. Go to their thing. Go to Powell's. Go to Powell's. So people will pay a plumber for their services. People will pay an electrician. People will pay for cigarettes. People will pay for gas. People can pay for art. It's okay. Yes. Yes. I mean, think how much time you, you spend listening to stuff or looking at stuff or, you know, just watching things. As a successful businesswoman, Tara Perkins, <laughs> what are some tips that you would give yourself when you were first starting out in the industry? That question is from a Capricorn. Always be nice to everybody. It's uh, any industry that you're in, any business that you're in is smaller than you think. Um, and you just don't know when you're going to have to deal with somebody again. So always always keep that in mind. I wouldn't say always be nice to everybody because like I would ever do that, but <laughs> <laughs> look, I would give myself, look, I'd waste my breath giving myself that advice. But, um, you, you, you got to remember that chances are you're going to cross paths with somebody more than once. If you think it's an industry that you're going to be in for a while or something that you think is going to maybe be your career. I was, I was recently like, going through uh old emails um just deleting i literally have like nine nine ten years worth of old emails that i I have to get rid of before i can switch over to new email provider um and it was just like kind of skin crawling to go through and see what i knew and what i didn't know um when i started like what oh I won't go into boring specifics, (laughs) but I I, I mean, I think it's like research people know who you're dealing with is really important. That's, that's the other side of, I mean, be, be nice to people and be nice to people, even if they're not a, a high up person, because you never know when you're going to be dealing with them. But it's also like, Get, get just Google the hell out of people, and and when you're when you're trying to make your way in a new industry and understand who somebody is and what kind of resource they can be, and you know, um, I just think there there were things or relationships that I didn't take advantage of that I could have, because um, I just didn't know any better. 
How did you, how did you get good at asking for money for art? Was it because you were doing it for other people? No, I mean, I, I feel like with, with sex workers art show and stuff, I, it was, it was for other people. And I, I always made sure other people got paid, even if I didn't there, you know, like the first tour, there was like a van disaster and, um, I didn't come home with anything. And there were, you know, the second year, people people made more money than I did off of those tours. And so I did it in a lot of ways, considered it my, even though it was for other people, I considered it something for me, it was my project. And I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, a sense of entitlement can be helpful or, or just like a, a I don't know. One of the things that happened early on was there was a um there was a film about the lusty lady unionizing called live new girls unite and i wanted to have this event in olympia i wanted to bring that film um and i wanted to bring this woman tora jane brawley from alaska who was the, actually the first person to really unionize a club and it wasn't like a peep show it was like a scary alaska club like weird alaskan lap dancing club where people you know it's just a, it's just a different scene there and um she'd had like, all these threats made against her she's a, a real wild ass um, but i wanted to bring her to town to speak about it and have this um whole event about sex work and unionizing and i went to the thurston county labor council and asked them for money i have retrospectively i'm like why would i do that <laughs> i don't I, I wanted to engage local labor in it and it was just like I don't know what kind of I have no idea why I would go do something like that retrospectively like now if I thought about doing that it sounds mortifying but I went to this room full of like dudes from the from local labor labor unions and one lady but you know it was like the SEIU people and the um carpenters union and all of that stuff and asked them for some of their programming money and uh, of course, the women were the ones who were the most angry at me for coming, but they gave me money for it. And they it did? Awesome. Yeah, they did. They they contributed to it, and some of the people came to the event, and it was really cool. Um, I, I had I I really had this thing about coalition building and highlighting connections between things, and that was one of the reasons why the show was when it was in Olympia. It was a benefit for. Um, for things like the uh, Books to Prisoners Project or um, the Native people that were resisting relocation at Big Mountain um, in Arizona. And it was like this idea of tying these things together. And I think that's why I got excited about talking to the labor union. But I guess, I mean, that's, that's I think just believing, really believing that you have a right to money and that, you're, that your project is deserving of it and that the people that are involved in it are deserving of it I, and just i also helped to be young and a total idiot and not, not understand why that wasn't we may be inappropriate i don't know but yeah well sometimes it's helpful for me to also think of things that are not as good as the thing i feel like i'm representing that ask that get money totally yeah yeah like seeing uh, pe seeing people pay for other foolish things i'm like well why not mine Oh my God. Is there any other advice you would give your early self? I, I mean, I think, I actually think that things like fake it till you make it 
slogans like that and um, you got to spend money to make money are very good pieces of advice. And I think um, it's so American. The idea of fake it till you make it is so American and it's so real. And the thing to know is that's what everybody else is doing too. All the people around you that seem like they know things, a lot of them don't Um, or aren't in any, you know, aren't in any better position than than you are and it's you know you just you just have to be driven to to do something and read read a lot about it find out as much as you can about whatever it is that you're trying to do but so much about about doing things or getting anywhere is just believing that you have the right to take up that space going in and and acting like you have the right to be there until you really do have the right to be there um Spend spend money till you make money, <laughs> or spend money to make money. I was thinking of that in terms of of getting an assistant, and I should have done that earlier on. But um, delegating, this is especially good for Sagittarians. Other people can other people can do stuff. Delegate really, you really, really have to delegate. Learn how to delegate to maintain your sanity, and that's something I sure didn't do with the sex workers art show. I was a megalomaniac control freak. Um, and it's become impossible in my professional life not to do now. And I, it's something that I wish that I had, had done more seriously earlier on because I could have accomplished more. I mean, there's just, there's, there's only so much you can do in a day and delegating, learning how to delegate and learning how to engage other people in your vision is a really, really valuable skill set. I've always heard that from successful business owners, and it's always the hardest thing to do. Delegate? To hire people you trust and then just let them do their thing. Again, delegate and just let them do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and not, you know, you don't have to micromanage every aspect of something, not not everything has to be done exactly the way you would do it. Have you read How to Win Friends and Influence People? You know what? I actually have it upstairs. I've only started to read it. But do that while you're trapped in room. <laughs> <laughs> they call it room, not the room. Sorry. Do it while you're trapped in room. Read that book. It is uh, a really good book. It's really valuable. That's another piece of advice. Read that early on. It sounds like such a sociopath thing to do, how to win friends and influence people, but it's not. It's a great, it's a great book. It really, um, one of the key takeaways is that people just want to feel heard. They just want to feel listened to. And it's so true. And after you read it, you really notice people who don't ask you questions about yourself. It's, it's always, it's always been something that's, that bothered me. Like when you're talking with somebody, people you know, 40 minute conversation in a bar with somebody and you know everything about them and they know not one single thing. And you're like, wow, I realized that that person that I just met doesn't even know what I do or where I live. And you know, like everything about them and, and how you feel after a conversation like that and how the person feels. That's one of the big things about, about that book. Oh, last, last thing. Do you have a pet peeve of how people treat bands or artists? Um, or the thing they do? Well, I did rant recently. Um, it's really along the same themes, but like I just talked about South by Southwest and I, I did a recent Facebook rant about um, asking people to perform for free at, at something 
That and that festival in particular, there is an enormous amount of money changing hands there. It's it's all brands, everything. Um, there's so much sponsorship money changing hands, and people put on a showcase, and then they pay because people are so desperate to play at this thing. They pay people like mostly zero dollars or like a few hundred, and even like even bands that you know do do pretty well like they, you're expected to play a bunch of free showcases and it's like the people there the people that put this shit on are getting paid so much money and i got an inquiry for um for lower dens and it was like uh to play this event on the roof of whole foods that that these guys put on i feel i shouldn't even be talking about this but like whatever it, they they're all like making money from this event there, there was like um it's purely Elizabeth cereal. There are all these like major, major sponsors for it. Cliff Bar sponsored like 10 million things. And then you get asked to play it for free. And it's like you, the dudes that are putting this on are, are not donating their time to it. And it was like a partial benefit for, for some like Whole Foods charity. And it's like Whole Foods is probably paying them to, to, be on the roof all of those brands are paying them everybody's paying them and there's so much money that's changing hands all around the musicians and the musicians are the thing that's driving people to be there and you're not going to pay them anything it's just like man fuck off like just quit preying on people's desperation i also think that that's crazy and people are like what like they're acting like the bands are being greedy but literally no one else involved in it is doing it for free or giving their time yeah i mean that's true of so many things and like Nonprofits and you know all of that stuff. Like a lot of the time at the nonprofits, people are making some amount of money and just like at least cover, at least cover a tiny stipend for somebody. If you if you are a functioning nonprofit that has like a paid staff, I don't know. Anyway, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I'm so glad you're talking about paying people. Thanks. It's a it's a big it's a big tragedy. We spend all this time talking about touring, but I do I do think the internet is the is the biggest. That's where everything happens in life right now, and it's the biggest place where where the most um, f- free art crime takes place. I, sh- I I should have defined what I was saying about art at the beginning of this conversation. What do you mean? Or what what I meant by art? Because when I say art, I mean music or writing or visual art. Mm. I keep I keep saying the word art as shorthand for those things. I didn't say that. Mm beginning thanks for being on my podcast tara perkins thanks for um advocating for people to get paid in all forms thanks for talking to me nicole georges sagittarian matters is produced by chris sutton with assistance by panyo georges our theme music is composed by carolyn pennypacker riggs of the band bouquet thank you for listening and i'll see you next time If you would like advice on a future podcast, call our hotline and leave a message, 971-361-9998. You can even disguise your voice if you'd like. In fact, we insist.